Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Hi. Hi, I just want to say a special hello to those who are online. Thank you for joining us. And also for those who are at our Bukit Batok community, we just want to say hello to you over there. We trust you're being looked after there by Pastor John, Priscilla and the team. So for those of you who are on site, we just want to say it's wonderful to see more and more of us come back to just worship the Lord together, singing of our songs, opening of our mouths and just being in a corporate uh, worship setting. You know, attending this particular service is the best thing that you can do in Grace Assembly. Worship team, where's worship team? Hey, worship team, just want to thank you. That was the best worship set I've ever experienced. Samantha, you did so well just now. That was the best service leading experience I've ever heard. Church, I guarantee you, this will be the best sermon I've ever preached. See, many of you are very smart. You saw what I was doing. Such superlatives, they are meaningless. They are insincere. And maybe they are even low-key offensive. False confessions can feel like flat-out lies. And if, even if a person is doing it with the good intentions, with the right intentions of saying it, it sometimes all these you know, superlatives, they just feel like they, 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 they're not going anywhere. You know, we actually hear false confessions regularly. Let me show you what the newspapers are putting, okay? So, people are spreading false information or misinformation about COVID-19 to cause confusion among people. I think maybe you're familiar with that particular story on Spotify. And maybe some of the people in other, other world leaders around the world, they are faking false achievements or fake achievements to project a sense of superiority and power. Maybe you've seen the North Korea video with that Top Gun treatment, right? Maybe you've seen that. And maybe people, they, they make false claims to discredit hospitals and healthcare workers. Now, all of us here, we have our own agendas for making these, all of, all of them, they have their own agendas for making these false confessions. And maybe some of them will even feel that these false confessions feel right in their own eyes. In the Bible, the Apostle Luke also recorded some false confessions. And these false confessions were made by one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends when Jesus was having the Passover meal with His disciples. Now, as most of you have known, as Samantha has alluded to just now, we're examining Peter's life in our build-up to our Good Friday and Easter, where we will uncover the truth in an era of fake news. Like many of you, I'm praying that my neighbours and my friends will accept my invitation for both the main service. But let me just tell you, my, my tactic is I'm going to invite their children. I'm going to invite, I'm going to get my children to invite their children and no choice, they will have to come along. So that's what I'm hoping that will happen with my friends. And now we all know, now we all know someone who needs to hear what Good Friday and Easter is truly about. So do invite a pre-believer for next weekend. Last weekend, Pastor Wilson helped us to see through some of Peter's fuzzy perceptions. Today, I'll take us through Peter's false confessions. So our big idea, big idea is to live out kingdom convictions under life's pressures, all right? How to live out kingdom convictions under life, life's pressures. How do we do that? Firstly, to live out kingdom convictions under pressure, we must, number one, 
Stay humble, for we will inevitably falter. Stay humble, for we will inevitably falter. Now, due to the innate sin in everyone, we'll face people with selfish agendas, and we'll have to deal with those who have hurt us out of their own insecurities. You know that hurt people hurt people. In Luke 22, Luke chapter 22, Jesus foreknew that Judas would betray him. He foreknew that Peter would deny him. And he foreknew that his disciples would desert him. But But we may not perceive that there was also a battle taking place in the unseen realm. Now, when we see how this scene was set up in Luke 22, verse 3, where Satan, where Satan entered into Judas, we'll realize that the whole, the entire Apurum experience was a cosmic confrontation between Satan and Jesus. Now, at the end of the temptation of Jesus, if we go all the way back to Luke chapter 4, verse 13, we will see that Jesus overcame Satan. And Satan left Jesus, but only until an opportunity or until an opportune time. That opportunity has come. Satan has returned and now has entered Judas, who then plotted with the religious and military leaders on how to betray Jesus. Now, the previous time Satan appeared, he, when he appeared, it was only to tempt Jesus. But now Satan has reappeared to tempt Jesus' disciples. So, observe how Jesus addressed Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 34. I'm reading to you from the English Standard Version. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, false confession time, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. Was that a false confession? Yes? No? Yes? No? We'll find out, okay? And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So the irony here, the irony here is that Peter thought Judas was the one who faltered. Peter thought thought that Judas was the one who faltered, but he never thought that he would be the one, that he, he, he would never thought that as the one who proclaimed Jesus as God's chosen one, he would fail just as miserably as well. The expression, sift you like wheat, it only appears in Luke's account. It describes a familiar farming activity um, that, that everybody, that the disciples really know, where they were separating grain from chaff, okay? So, uh, have any of you used a kitchen sieve before? Yes? Okay, so you would do the same thing to separate maybe like icing sugar, make it finer, or to separate whatever else that you want to do with your sieve, okay? Now, for me, I use the sieve to separate the soup from the Maggi noodles that's cooked so that I can have me going dry, Okay, some of you can identify with that, right? That's what I use a sieve for. But you must understand that this is actually warfare language. It's spiritual warfare language, okay? Using a sieve to separate, sift you like wheat, okay? It is like saying, it is as good as saying, Satan is seeking to shake all of you violently. Shake, sift you like wheat. 
like how wheat is sifted and bounced around to cause you all to fall. All of you are about to go through an ordeal. Peter's faith would soon be tested by panic and stress as his association with Jesus was about to be exposed under pressure. Then Jesus speaks to Peter directly and he says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, this failure here clearly doesn't represent or mean a, a complete failure because Peter's faith was restored when he went on to profess Christ boldly. After all, Peter was one of the key leaders in the early church. So this was the result of the Holy Spirit's work in Peter's life where the Holy Spirit restored Peter, right? Restored Peter's faith. Now then Jesus said, turned again. Or in other words, when Peter had repented. Now some of us here, we use this big word, repentance. But what does repentance really mean? Now I submit to you that repentance has three actions, okay? The first action is to stop in your sin. If you're in sin, you stop whatever you're doing. That's the first action of repentance. But it's not enough to just stop what you're doing. You have to turn around in the opposite direction. Because if you don't do that, if you don't uh, turn around in the opposite direction, you're going to go back to sin. And finally, the, the, the action of repentance also includes returning to God by walking to Him. Because you can stop, you can turn around, but you can turn around to no one. Right? But you have to turn around and make sure that you're walking in the same direction as God. Now, Luke 22-33 then records one of Peter's alleged false confessions. It says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus, he saw past this point-blank reply. And he says in, in, in his point-blank reply to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Now imagine if you are Peter. Lord, ready to go to prison. Ready to die for you. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, sorry. I cannot act that. Jesus didn't laugh like that, right? Jesus will probably go look at uh, uh, Peter. No, 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 Peter. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Imagine if you were Peter and you heard Jesus' reply to you, I think it probably sent shockwaves into his system because he was so close to Jesus. Now, don't miss this. This is the key point of, of, of this point. Jesus said, and when, not if, but when you have turned again. This is significant because it tells us, or Luke is telling us, that, even, that one can even repent from denying Christ. Because Peter, as we know later, he denied Christ. The difference between what Peter did and what Judas did was that Peter repented, but Judas didn't repent. Judas didn't turn back. He didn't stop in his sin. He didn't turn back. He didn't walk towards God. But Peter stopped in his sin. He turned back and he walked towards God. So next gen, like Peter, maybe you're struggling with a sin right now. Would you stop in your sin? Would you turn around in the opposite direction? And would you start walking towards God? You know, sometimes when we are under pressure, or maybe just sometimes when we are very eager, over-eager, we make pledges of believing loyalty to Jesus. And sometimes these pledges can sound like false confessions and even flippant professions of faith. 
maybe at the beginning of the year, you say, Jesus, I'm going to finish reading my Bible this year. As you did every other year. <laughs> some nervous laughter. Maybe some of you have said, Jesus, I'll never deny you even if my friends mock my faith. Maybe some of you, you say, Jesus, I'll glorify you in school by studying hard and doing well. Some of you here go like, wow, conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know. <gasps> Maybe some of you here, you will say, Jesus, I will tithe and give generously when I start work. Now that you have started work, one year down the road, are you tithing and giving generously? Maybe for some of you here, you've heard your parents say, or if you are a parent here, you say, Jesus, this year I will raise my children in God's ways. Maybe some of you here, you say, Jesus, I will constantly talk about my faith to my relatives and friends. And then at Chinese New Year, it's all silence. Or maybe for some of us here, you say, Jesus, I will serve you full time before I'm 25. You renew it. Before I'm 30, you renew it. Before I'm 40, you renew it. Before I'm 50. Clearly, I'm talking about people from other churches. Grace Assembly don't have such people, right? Or is that a false confession? <laughs> you know why these false confessions won't impress Jesus? Because He knows that you and I will falter. That's the reality. Jesus knew that Peter would falter. Whenever we make such flippant professions or false confessions, Jesus also knows that we will falter. He knows that life's pressures will get to you. He knows that human opposition will cause you to crumble. So next gen, before you utter another false confession, I submit to you, stay humble. Because like Peter, you will inevitably falter. Now unsurprisingly, this incident, it taught Peter a huge lesson on humility. Maybe that explains why Peter in his own writing, he said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He experienced it himself. Therefore, let's stay humble so that we can quickly turn back to God in repentance instead of in resistance. Stay humble. Stay, stay nimble. Stay tender-hearted. So that whenever we make a mistake, whenever we make a false confession, we, whenever we deny Christ, we will go like, God, I'm sorry. Let me turn, stop in my sin, turn around and start walking towards you. Your faith might falter, but it won't be destroyed. And when you turn back to Jesus, He renews your faith and He uses you to strengthen others. Now, if you desire to live out kingdom convictions, stay humble and quickly return to God when you inevitably falter under life's pressures. Secondly, if we want to live our kingdom convictions under pressure, we must surrender ourselves daily to His Lordship. We must surrender ourselves daily to His Lordship. Now, we already know that Peter would betray Jesus because Jesus foretold that. So let's find out how he did it in Luke chapter 22 verse 54 to 62. This is a really uh, heart-wrenching uh, passage, okay? 54. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter 
was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Imagine that. Peter heard, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to deny Christ three times. And maybe he, and he, go, he, he goes like, well, you know, that's not going to happen. So actually, he's very courageous. He goes and he follows along. It's at midnight and then they were starting a fire. He sits down in the middle together with all of them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. Verse 57, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little while later, someone else in the crowd saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. I don't know whether there was an accent there, but I, I doubt there was. Man, I am not one of them. And after an interval for about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you give me the sound effect of a rooster crowing? Thank you very much. Thank you. you very good audience. Very good audience, right? Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. As I mentioned just now, Peter showed initial signs of courage. He followed at a distance in the dead of night and he even sat down with the people who captured Jesus. But at the most pivotal moment, the most pivotal moment, his courage failed him because, of his, own, because his own safety and his personal well-being were threatened. Next gen, sometimes yielding to temptation isn't just about doing the wrong thing. Sometimes yielding to temptation is not doing the right thing. Let me say that again. Yielding to temptation isn't just about doing the wrong thing but also not doing the right thing. Woman, I do not know him. Of course you do. Man, I am not one of Jesus' followers. Of course you are. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Of course you know. Can you hear the sound effects of the biblical rooster sending arrows straight into the heart of Peter? That's how Peter sinned. Three times he could have just acknowledged Jesus, but he didn't. Instead, he yielded to temptation and succumbed under pressure. He caved into life's pressures and he crumbled big time. Peter gave in to his own fears, his insecurities, his weaknesses instead of surrendering himself to the Lordship of Christ. Peter was frightened and he didn't live up to what he had boldly promised. He was afraid to be arrested and he surely wasn't going to die for Jesus. Now, if I was a cameraman back then, I would zoom in into Jesus' face and maybe this is what you will see. We see Jesus turning towards Peter with his eyes staring straight into Peter's soul. Peter looked at his dear friend whom he had loved and who had taught him for three years. Three years! 
But yet at this moment, he couldn't even abide by Jesus for 12 hours. At this moment, I believe that maybe Peter had an existential crisis. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. That line, it reverberated through his heart. He had felt miserably as a disciple and a friend. Now let's pause here for a while because tragedy is usually where we think the story ends. But let's examine this narrative again through new lenses. Yes, Peter denied Jesus three times. Yes, Peter discarded his reputation within hours. Yes, Peter saw Jesus' face. And Peter also uh, remembered Jesus' prediction. But maybe, 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 Peter also remembered these life-giving words too. Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Peter, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So instead of seeing anger and disappointment on Jesus' face, maybe Peter saw grace, love, and forgiveness instead. Maybe it was this that wrecked him more than the guilt, the embarrassment, and the shame as he went out and wept bitterly. Peter gave in to the temptation of taking the easy way out instead of acknowledging his relationship with Jesus. Next gen. Do we sometimes take the easy way out as well? Peter turned in the opposite direction and he knew that his false confessions brought him nowhere. He knew he couldn't depend on himself anymore. Next gen. In your journey with the Lord, as you go through a crisis, as you are about to yield to temptation, have you come to the end of the rope and the only way is up back to God? Hence, I reckon that this, this moment, him meeting the eyes of Jesus, it was Peter's turning point. This was the point that he stopped in his sin. This was the point he surrendered to Jesus and stopped yielding to temptation. This was when Peter genuinely submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Next gen, today, today could be the moment that you surrender to Jesus again. Peter's bitter weeps and violent wails were the ordeals that Jesus said he would have to endure in being sifted like wheat. This heart-rending moment marked the beginning of Peter walking in the right direction towards God. Jesus was praying for Peter even while Peter was denying him. Jesus was praying for Peter even while Peter was denying him. Next gen, Jesus is praying for us even when we have denied him. Jesus' grace and forgiveness compelled Peter to repent and surrender. We read that he wept, he wept bitterly. Maybe these weren't tears of guilt and shame, but of contrition and conviction. Peter's 
experienced in these hours, it marked the beginning of his transformation. From this humiliating experience, Peter learned what surrendering, surrendering to Jesus meant. Because it will later help him when he led the early church. We need to be aware of our own breaking points and not to be overconfident or self-sufficient. Even when you fail Jesus, you must remember that Christ can still use you so long as you acknowledge your failure. So long as you surrender to His Lordship again. So next gen, where are you now? Are you willing to walk daily with Jesus? Will you acknowledge Jesus daily? Will you surrender to His Lordship every day? Are you in a work environment that champions values that's contrary to God's Word? Would you stand up or would you be silent? Are you among friends who encourage you to live out ungodly values? Would you stand up or would you be silent? Do you fear being cancelled if you stand up for what? Is right. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, starting from verse 26, so have no fear of people. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Will you be faithful to Jesus in the face of human opposition? Will you stand firm in the face of human persecution? Will you live our kingdom convictions under life's pressures? So let's surrender ourselves daily to Jesus who is graciously stretching His redemptive hand towards us when we fall. So we should live out kingdom convictions under life's pressures so that we can stay humble when we falter. And we should surrender ourselves daily to the Lordship of Christ if we want to stay faithful against human opposition and persecution. But let me offer one more suggestion, one more conviction to live out kingdom convictions under pressure, we must stay the course despite our shortcomings. Stay the course despite our shortcomings. So let's fast forward to after Jesus had risen. Peter had turned back and he had found his resolve to truly live for Jesus. Luke 24 verse 12, it records Peter's reaction upon hearing that Jesus had risen. So verse 12, it says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, if you read the context of this verse, you will learn that the rest of the disciples struggled to believe what Mary and the other women had told them about the empty tomb. But Peter rushed to the grave to see it for himself. And then he went home amazed at what he saw. Imagine the internal conversations he must have had with himself. Everything that Jesus said he would do, he did. Everything that he predicted came to pass. Jesus, you are the real deal. Peter knew 
that he didn't repent and surrender himself to Jesus in vain. Next gen, who Jesus is to you depends on what the resurrection means to you. Who Jesus is to you is defined by your personal encounter with Him. Maybe some of you, Jesus means little to you because you don't have a good understanding of His resurrection. His resurrection means that we are worshipping a God that has defeated death, that He has risen. It changes who He is to you. It changes how you look at Him. And maybe some of you here, Jesus doesn't mean a lot to you because you, have that, you don't have that personal encounter with Him. Next gen, I submit this to you. You don't have to wait for a brimstone and, and fire and flood moment. No, that moment can be today. That moment can be now. That moment can be any time. Maybe at a retreat meet that, that moment can be an altar call later. Because who Jesus is to you depends on what the resurrection means to you and is defined by your personal encounter with Him. What is your, your, your response then? Jesus committed, or Peter committed himself to Jesus and he devoted the rest of his life to serve his risen Saviour. What about you, Next Gen? Peter stayed the course despite his shortcomings. His newfound relationship with Jesus meant so much to him. It went beyond his false confessions uttered under no pressure and his three denials under life's pressures. You know, I learned these three lessons while studying part-time for my Master of Divinity at Singapore Bible College and while working full-time in Grace Assembly. You see, I could only study after putting the kids to bed or before they woke up. My kids were a lot younger then when I was doing this and so I found it really challenging to juggle everything. I recall countless late nights and early mornings. In fact, I don't really recall seeing sunlight whenever I was working on my readings and my assignments. It was always, you know, at midnight. <laughs> really, really dark. And I told God, God, I will do my best to glorify you in Bible school. It's Bible school, you know. I'm very serious about Bible school. And I told, I told the Lord, I'll be a next-gen, I'll be an example to my next-gen leaders because a lot of them are also students. I'm also studying now. I want to be a good example to all of them. By God's grace, I enjoyed a good start. I was motivated to excel and my efforts, they were reflected in my good grades. But all it took was my first C for me to see through my false confessions. My commitment to glorify God in Bible school diluted into pathetic self-justifications for mediocre effort. I became an expert, a theologian at generating various kinds of excuses for modules that I wasn't motivated for. I told myself, ah, I cut myself some slack. I, I will convince myself, nah, I can't see its relevance to practical ministry. I would say, oh, actually my true priorities are my wife and my two kids. I would tell myself, ah, the textbooks are outdated. My lecturer, he's mumbling, don't understand. And I'll say to myself, this is a super big period in Grace Assembly whom I'm called to full-time. I began to falter. Not just in my grades, 
but more worryingly so, I faltered in my attitude. Something wasn't right. And I had so much pride in admitting that I had messed up. And I struggled to repent from this ungodly mentality. And one of my lecturers, a dear friend now, he brought me out, he sat me down, and through that coffee session, I just felt like God whispering to me. God whispering to me that something wasn't right. My lecturer, he told me, hey, I noticed that in your posture, there's a noticeable difference. You're not as motivated anymore. What happened, Joey? What happened to you? So in my reflection after that coffee session, I repented before God. And I surrendered to Him by struggles in seminary and also my personal shortcomings. My purpose in SBC was slowly becoming clearer. And to know Him, what was my purpose? My purpose was to know Him more intimately. My purpose was to understand myself more intricately. And my purpose was to be equipped for full-time ministry more intentionally. By God's grace, in that coffee session, in my reflection time, God reminded me of my true purpose in SBC. Glorifying God in our pursuits has very little to do with our grades and performance, but it has got everything to do with His grace and purpose in us. And so then God renewed my convictions. By God's grace, I stayed the course and I did graduate part-time studies after five and a half years despite discovering more and more shortcomings in my life and more and more inadequacies in my life. For the rest of my journey in SBC, I suddenly became certain of God's plan for me. Staying the course was far more drastic for Peter. Incredibly, he did fulfill what he claimed he would do for Christ. Peter really went to prison. Peter eventually died for Jesus, just like how the Apostle John described. And it's widely accepted that by church traditions, that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as his master, friend, and Saviour. As the worship team gets ready to lead us in a response song, next gen, guess what? Jesus never had a false confession. Jesus always lived out kingdom convictions under pressure. Jesus always stayed the course despite other people's shortcomings. That's why Believing in Him is the best truth you will ever believe. That's why surrendering to Him is the best thing you will ever do. That's why trusting in Him is the best life you will ever live. And these aren't false superlative confessions. No, these are timeless ways to pledge your believing loyalty to Jesus. So next year, let's stay humble when we falter. Let's surrender ourselves to Jesus daily. And let's stay the course despite our shortcomings. Let's pray.
Hallelujah, Lord. Whether you're online, whether you're at Bukit Batok, whether you're in Tanglin, I believe that the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, has spoken directly to you. And as the worship team ministers to us with this song, I just want to, res- I just want to invite you to respond together. To respond together. Maybe some of us here, we are in an environment where it is really difficult to live out our Christian convictions. You face life's pressures through your company culture, through your colleagues, through your classmates, through your school, through the people in your life that are very woke. And you're saying, God, God, it's hard. I'm struggling. I'm treading water, but my feet are getting weak. My hands are getting tired. My eyes are getting dim. God, I need strength. Would you strengthen me so that my weak knees might stay firm, so that my weak elbows might be raised up to always proclaim your name? If that is you, you are under pressure at work and you're saying, God, help me stand strong. I want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand so that I can acknowledge you? Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you raise it high so that I can see it? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I believe many of you online are also responding. Many of you at Bukit Batu are also responding. Why don't you raise your hand to the Lord and you say, God, I need strength. I need strength right now. It's really, really tough where I am right now and I need strength. I need strength, Lord. Maybe some of you here, you are struggling with a sin right now. And you know exactly what I'm referring to because as I mentioned sin, the Holy Spirit is sending conviction into your heart. You know the very sin that is stopping you from enjoying intimacy with God. You know that sin that is causing you to stumble and fall and turn away from God. And today, the Holy Spirit says to you, stop, stop. Turn around. Start walking back towards me. Don't yield to the temptation, whether it is not doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. Get right with God today and surrender yourself again to Jesus. So if that is you and you're struggling with the sin but you're saying, Pastor, today is the day I will get right with God. 
I will repent. I will stop. I will turn. I will walk. If that is you, would you raise your hand to the Lord? Thank you. I see hands, hands, hands. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Would you raise it high so that I can see it? Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I see many, many hands. I see many. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. We will get right with God today because Jesus' compassionate hand, His redemptive hand is reaching out to you and saying to you, next gen, come back to me. Come back to me. Even if you have denied me, even if you have failed, I am here for you. Look into my eyes of grace, into my eyes of compassion. I am here for you. So right now, I'd just like to invite all of us to stand to our feet. All of us to stand to our feet. I'm going to ask Chloe to lead us in this song again. And as we respond to the Lord in worship, for those of you who have raised your hands, we would love to pray with you, your, your, your leaders, the staff, and maybe even your friends. If you see your friend coming down here later, we want to welcome you to come to the altar to pray for that person. Some of you will need to take a knee. Some of you will stand in God's presence. Some of you want to sit down. Do whatever it takes to surrender to God. Do whatever it takes to stay humble. Do whatever it takes to stay the course. So as Chloe leads us in this song, the altars are open. I want to invite you to come to the front. We want to pray together with you. Come, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Grace
Friends.